0: And welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where we talk about the issues of this world through a biblical perspective. I'm Son Edom along with Dan Delzell, and Dan is a pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska. He has also written many articles that can be found on the Christian Post. And Dan, we've been talking about a lot of different things kind of run, running the gamut from politics to, you know, Hollywood, pop culture to theology. And so we've kind of really gotten a lot of good conversation going over the past few weeks, and so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about this week and talk with you and get your thoughts about is something that I think is often probably could be one of the biggest things that is misunderstood possibly in the Bible, could be uh, misquoted in the Bible, and that is uh, one of the commandments. You know, God gave us, or the Israelites specifically, but, you know, gave us the Ten Commandments, and if you ask people, Can you name the Ten Commandments? I'm sure thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not kill would be the top two that people could um, recite or let you know about. But then there's also the one about uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain, which is, I believe, the third commandment. And when you ask people about that, a lot of people will automatically say that taking God's name in vain is saying God and then following it up with a curse word. And that would be taking God's name in vain. And so for many years, that was always the thing, kind of like the Sunday school lesson that we were taught. And so for many years, that's what we thought. At least I did. And then um, even like, oh, my gosh, you know, people started to say that you should say, oh, my gosh, instead of, oh, my God, because it's better. And then um, as I started to get older, I started to kind of think about this. And I started to think, you know, sometimes – it's not what we say, but the attitude behind what we say. So, for example, if I get mad and I throw out a non-curse word, but I just throw out, a, throw out an, exc- an exclamation towards somebody because I'm mad at them. It's not what I say, but how I say it that is, to me, the sin, the wrong. Because I could say something as innocent as, you know, stinking ripping, and yet my tone and my anger and my demeanor and my intent behind it is to wish something ill will upon somebody. Or, right. you know, I could say I love you and be completely insincere and be like brush them off and hope in my mind that they die. And again, yeah. it's it's the sentiment behind it. So then I started to kind of think about this. Okay, taking God's name in vain. Yeah, we don't want to profane his name, and we shouldn't. But there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to the commandment than just saying, you know, God and then some curse name behind it or, you know, Jesus and then throwing a middle initial in there and then adding his last name, you know, uh, whatever it is. And so as I started to talk to people about it, I started to realize that there could be more to taking God's name in vain than just using it as a curse, a curse word. And that's what I want to talk to you about today and kind of get your thoughts on some things. And the idea started, as you and I know, but maybe people listening don't know, I was producing a Christian talk show, the Frank Sontag Show. And as the producer, I'd get different guests on the show. And Dan was one of the, the guests that we would get on frequently. But then we'd also have other pastors that would come in. And there was another pastor that first kind of brought up the idea. I was talking to him off mic and brought up the idea that, you know, taking God's name in vain could be more than just, you know, curse words. And so that got me doing some research and thinking about it. And, and as you go and delve into it, it started to make sense that, yeah, taking God's name in vain goes well beyond just cursing with his name, and so as we get started tonight or today on this episode, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on initially, yeah. you know, kind of what your thoughts were on it, and and what your study of the commandments, especially the third commandment, kind of what conclusions you drew from that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, great topic, son, and and really a great um, insight in terms of thinking, you know, not only about how we use God's name specifically, but also then what's kind of the broader meaning of of taking His name in vain. And and as you were talking, you know, um, I I think about not only, of course, the commandment, but then also I think about how that connects to, um, you know, really the, 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 the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so... Um, one thing we would say is that followers of God, whether it be in the Old Testament or now in New Testament times, that, that um, you know, there needed to be, the heart needed to be engaged in what the mouth was saying uh, about, about God or about, uh, you know, spiritual uh, activities. Uh, otherwise, it, it was just in vain. You know, I mean, Jesus said that about the Pharisees, didn't He? he said He said He said they worship me in vain. He, he said that you know their, their their teachings are just rules, you know, taught by men, but but their hearts are far from me. And and so, um, I I think that um, you know the first and most obvious application of it, of course, is the way we're literally using God's name, and that 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 is such I think a, a huge part of the command that, that that we are to have such a a holy fear of the Lord um, that we, we would never uh, ever want to take his name, you know, in, in, in vain It's interesting. I, I actually read a quote today by Oswald chambers. I, I don't remember coming across this quote before I, you know, he, he chambers was just, you know, amazing. The insights the Lord gave him and fact he, he, he's written the most popular devotional of all time. I almost heard. I guess, that millions of Christians, uh, you know, read every day and just the nuggets of truth are just, you know, just so insightful. But anyway, um, I came across a quote I don't remember from him, and and he says basically he says you know, um, uh, those who have um, well those who don't have the fear of the Lord, um, they seem to fear everything, everything else, and 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 those who do have the fear of the Lord, you know don't 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 fear anything but God, you know. So if you have the fear of the Lord, you only fear God, and now he he, he can't push that. So far, because I mean, obviously, the disciples they became afraid out on the boat. We all experience fear, but but um, I think his point is just that um, the fear of the Lord, as the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom, and and so part of that holy fear then is not taking God's name in vain. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we are to revere the name of God. Um, uh, I, I do think it, it, it's a mistake for a believer to even say something like, um, oh my, and then to put God's name in there. But, but you know what, Dosan? I think probably the, the far bigger application that we don't even stop and realize, what about a person who identifies as a Christian, okay? That's using Christ's name. Now, if, if you're just using that, you know, to fit into a certain segment of, of of society or you're doing that for whatever reason, then that would be taking the Lord's name in vain because, because the the largest part of that word is Christ. Uh, you know, and, and until we really you know, have, we're doing this segment today, I never even really thought about it from that angle. Um, until I started thinking about, you know, your, you know, very good, uh, thought, you know, are, are we taking the Lord's name in vain? you know, more than we realize, and and so as we get into this today, I think we'll find it's not only in the way that we use the Lord's name, um, but if we're using it flippantly, if we're, if we're, you know, claiming to be a Christian, but our heart's not in it, if we're using God's name, and, and, and our heart's not in it, um, or of course, obviously, if we're using it as a curse word, uh, but then as I'm sure we'll get into today, really, I think you could apply it to almost all of the Christian life, that that um, you know, if we're going to claim to be followers of Christ, but we're going to have certain areas of our life that, um, you know, maybe we uh, maybe see as being off limits or whatever, um, then, then that, that's a huge roadblock. In fact, uh, on our Facebook, uh, our church Facebook today, this post went up. Uh, here's a quote from Oswald Chambers. Uh, Spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. So, you know, we get saved, redeemed, born again, justified, and forgiven on the front end by uh, repenting of our sin and trusting Christ to save us. But then we only grow if we obey. I mean, Jesus even said, you know, if you love me, you'll you'll obey what I command. You know, so without obedience, there is no growth. Now, obviously, we all fall short of that, of course. Um, We are far from perfect in our obedience. Um, But with that being said, um, obedience is, is just as much a part of spiritual growth as, as let 's say a child 's obedience in the home is is a part of their own maturity and and, and if they 're just constantly you know rebelling uh, and let's say they 're intentionally uh, you know going against the rules, well we say well there 's not maturity there there's not um, the kind of growth that we need uh, there so um yeah this will be a good a good topic to dig into today and and I like your your premise, i think kind of the thesis that you kind of are exploring here saw that, uh, Hey, it seems like maybe it's broader than just, just the words that, that, that we use about God.
0: You know, Dan, when you take a look at the the Bible and there's passages in the Bible that talk or use, refer to God's name. You know, you think of Psalms eight, you know, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or like you mentioned, you know, in the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. Or even like when the, uh, apostles in Acts 4, you know, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, or, you know, everyone calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved in Romans, and then in, was it uh, Philippians or Philemon, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, you know, and so,
1: yeah, 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 so
0: you, every time you're talking about or the Bible mentions, you know, the name of the Lord. And even if you do some research, it goes back to Yahweh. And I guess Yahweh is, you know, I am. Um, and, so it, it, and so when you really dig into some of this and you get into the, really the theology of it, there is a lot of reverence put on the name of the Lord. And as we think about it, you know, we think about the names that we have. You know, Dan, Son, we don't want people, you know, misusing our name, defaming our name, taking our name in vain, you know. I wouldn't want anybody to put, you know, son, and then a curse word after it, um, you know. And so it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where people don't really apply, you know, kind of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's like we're going to curse God's name, but we don't want people to curse our name. That would be kind of bizarre, right? But yet that's how we do it. And so when you look at it through the biblical perspective that, you know, the Bible really puts a reverence – on the name of the Lord, it's something then that we really need to take into consideration when we approach him. And that's why I start thinking about, you know, okay, going beyond the cursing, going beyond the, you know, calling out an exclamation, you know, in anger with God's name. There has to be more to it. And, you know, I see a lot of people uh, on late night television, Christian television, and we've talked about prosperity preachers and things like that. People who are out there, you know, misusing, right. misrepresenting. I start thinking, could that be taking God's name in vain too? You're you're using God's name, and it's out of context with Scripture. Yes, you know, yes. it's out of context with what the Bible says. I mean that that's got to be using God's name in vain, isn't it?
1: Well, yes, I, I definitely believe it is, Don. I mean, any time a person is um, even just referring to God, referring to the Lord, if it's not being done through, um through the truth, uh, that is, if, if it's not, uh, you know, being done through the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, uh, through the truth of Scripture, then it's really being done in vain. It's, it's being done, um, you know, with, with lack of knowledge and in many cases with lack of reverence. And so, um, you know, there, there are several things that are really necessary in order for us to be able to approach God appropriately and, and in a way that pleases Him. I mean, let's let's face it, Bob. I mean, um, God is real. Um, there are things that make God angry, and there are things that please God. And it, it becomes very clear in Scripture that um, you know God loves to communicate with His children, um, and He loves His children to be holy. And 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 so if you if you look at all of Scripture, you see that. Um, God wants people in His family. Uh, he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We know many aren't, uh, but but He wants you in His family. Um, now, um, you know, what would we say, son, about those outside His family who are profaning His name? Well, um, yes, I think that I think that makes God God angry. Um, but but the Bible describes folks in that situation as already being under His wrath. Um, that until. And unless they come to Christ, they will remain under his wrath, even though that wrath won't be poured out until the end of time. You know, Jesus bore the wrath on the cross that you and I um, deserve uh, to, uh, to have. Uh, but he also demonstrated God's love for, for us as sinners. Uh, and both of those were going on there uh, at the cross. But I, I do think that your, your thesis, I'll call it that, Son, I think your thesis, excuse me, is, is, is a good one. And I think it's a, a, an insightful one that um, there's more going on here than just how we, you know, what, what we say about the Lord's name. And I'll give you an example. You know, what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? I mean, he said, hey, you know, you guys fast. You know, twice a week, and you give a tenth of your income, but do you think that impressed the Lord? Not at all. Um, he lambasted them uh, because of their hypocrisy, because of their hearts, because of their greed and their and their lust and their selfishness and their unbelief. I mean, that was their biggest sin. Fon. Um, you know, those those Jewish leaders who refused to accept Christ as Messiah, they were living in unbelief, and so they were not um, actually part of. Um, you know the, the family of God. I mean, even though they were they were born as as, as Jews, um, they were seeking to live out their lives as you know as Jews. But when Jesus came, um, it was time to turn a corner. It, it was time to accept the Messiah that had been promised for all these centuries. And and by rejecting him as the Messiah, they were rejecting um, the very God who had uh, called. Um, you know the israelites to 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 be his own people um you know i mean in, in many ways son, it would be like um i, I suppose if, if a person was um you know maybe claiming to be married to someone and yet they you know they 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 reject they reject them uh outright um i mean they they were rejecting christ and and in fact Jesus even said to the Pharisees, at one point there he said you know you you want to do what your father does, uh, the devil. And they were claiming that Abraham was their, uh, spiritual father. And Jesus was say, no, because if Abraham was your spiritual father, you would love me. You know, you don't love me. You don't believe in me. So no, um, you can't claim that. Uh, so my, my point is somebody's son could say, well, I don't take the Lord's name in vain. So God must be pleased with me. (laughs) Well, um, that kind of depends. Um, it, it depends hugely on are you in his family? Um, because if you're not in his family, Um, There's a much bigger issue that's displeasing him even, and that's your unbelief. Um, And until you repent and turn away from that and accept the good news and accept the fact that you're a sinner and you need a savior and that Christ died for you, then, I mean, you could go your whole life and and never again, you know, take the Lord's name in vain in that sense, but that wouldn't put you in his family, you know? So so if, if an unbeliever can be still under the wrath of God, even without, you know, cursing or using the Lord's name in vain then um, that says a lot about, you know, that that's, that's not, the, that, that's not the, the key to being saved. I mean, although I would say if a person is taking the Lord's name in vain, part of repentance would be turning away from that sin, certainly, saying, Lord, I don't want to do anything that's going to offend you going forward, including how I use your name, certainly. So, um, so yes, I think it is broader sound than just the, the, the words. Um, just like Jesus would say, I think, about the Pharisees, um, that, 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 the tithing and, and the fasting, um, they weren't getting it done. Uh, they, they, were committing as, 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 the Lord often, the prophets often spoke of in the old Testament, they were committing spiritual adultery. Um, they were following their traditions when the living God, the, the son of God, the promised Messiah was standing right there in front of them. So that's one thing about the law. You got to be careful with, um, the law is very good. The law is very important but it can't make your spirit come alive. And if you get too caught up in the law and you don't know anything about the gospel, um, you're going to remain a million miles away from God because it's only by his grace that you enter a relationship and become a son or a daughter, not by your observance of the law, not by you refraining from, you know, using the Lord's name in vain. um, But, but by repenting of of, of sin overall, including that sin, of course, and then, um, you know, giving your life to Christ and trusting him as savior.
0: You know, a lot of times when people think of the word vain, you think vanity, you know, you're, you're haughty, you're high of yourself, you're thinking proudly Mm -hmm. of yourself, you know? And, um, I think in this case, when I was trying to figure out what exactly what vain meant, some of the Mm -hmm. words that kind of came up were like empty, uh, pointless, you know, wasted. Don't take God's name in a wasted manner. Don't take God's name empty of who he is. You know, In a
1: hypocritical manner as well. Yeah, in a yeah. hypocritical
0: manner, exactly. So, you know, if we call ourselves a Christian, and I I think there was a I think there's a um, a a difference that I want to make first. Okay. If we are yeah. Christian and we are void of doing what God or representing God mm-hmm. and who he is, and we neglect to represent who he is, then I think we're taking his name in vain. If we yeah. are a Christian. And we sin, but we're really striving to represent who he is. Yeah. That's a different story. You know, we got to be careful because, you know, we, the Bible says for all of sin, um, no one is perfect. Um, You know, we're all going to continue to sin, but that's why Jesus came. And so there's a difference there. So we can call ourselves Christian and still sin. And people are like, ah, you're a Christian. You sin. So how are you a Christian? Well, it's because the Bible says I'm going to sin. The difference is I'm trying not to represent God in a false manner as maybe somebody else who calls themselves a Christian. And then their life is completely void of anything meaningful, anything, you know, it's empty of God and empty of who he is and empty of what the Bible represents him as.
1: And, you know, it's it's interesting, son, now that you mentioned that, um, because that word I mentioned, you know, hypocrite, um, that is only used um, there in, in the New Testament for for people who um, are pretending um, to, to, to know the Lord but really don't know the Lord. You know, the world will use, you know, you, you'll hear this all the time, well, you know, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Um you know, that, that biblically is, is, is not the case, um, because you, you made a very good point a moment ago, Son. You said, you know, but, but the Christian is trying to do the will of God. It's like the young woman who said, you know, before I was saved, I used to be a sinner running after sin, chasing after it. But now, well, but once I got saved, I, I started trying to run away from it. And, and that is the fruit of repentance. So when Jesus, you know, told those in his day, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he, he was telling them, okay, um, you know, uh, come toward me, rep- repent of your sin, and then and there'll be fruit. There'll be evidence that you're trying to avoid that. Now, now that doesn't mean that the, the, the Christian doesn't have um, setback or, or different things that they may still struggle with, but that's part of the growth process. It would be like saying, well, we, we expect a three-year-old to be as mature as a 22-year-old. Well, no, we don't. Um, you know, we, we don't at all. We we have different expectations. And and the same thing, in a way, is going on in the Christian life. You become a babe in Christ when you're born again, saved, redeemed, justified, and forgiven. Now, you might be young. Uh, you might be 70 years old when you get born again. And if you're 70 years old when you get born again, guess what? You're 70 years old in, in, in body, but you're a babe in Christ because everybody starts out as an infant in Christ. And, and it's not about how much emotion maybe you're feeling at the time, because a lot of times there's a lot of emotion with conversion. Not always, I mean, certainly, but it, with, the, with the new Christian life, there can be a lot of emotion, uh, but not always. Um, it, the key is faith, not emotion. You know, there's that thing, emotion is not devotion. Some people are just more emotional type folks and, and, uh, and others are not. But, but the point is, you can be uh, an older human being with be a babe in Christ. So, so wherever you're at, um if, if, you're, if you're a believer in Christ, then, then you've, you've been called now to be obviously a follower of Christ, and, and part of that following is going to be um, asking the Lord to help you turn away from sin. So the word hypocrite in the Bible is, is really uh, addressed. Jesus would use that word for those who were claiming to be super religious but they weren't even saved, justified, born again, and forgiven. Um, Jesus never used that term "son" uh, for uh, a genuine believer. Um, now, you know, a case could be made that all of us Christians at times have, have practiced some hypocrisy um, whereby, you know, maybe we were, we were just completely doing something that we, we, we preach against or whatever. Um, well, Um, If that's the case, or whenever that might be the case for a believer, then the Holy Spirit's going to be convicting that believer, and he or she is not going to be content to to go on with that, because um, it just cannot, you know, that that lack of repentance cannot exist in the same heart uh, that, that, that Jesus is living within you. So something will have to give there. And so for the person who can just live in premeditated sin, um, willful sin, live their life for sin. Where it's just like, I'm not talking about a Christian who's struggling with with, with some things and they're trying not to do it. You know, they're trying not to lose their temper, but they just lost their temper again. Or, or you know, they're 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 they're, they're trying not to give into this sin or that sin. Um, but I'm, I'm really talking about the overall attitude towards sin. And the follower of Christ will be able to say, I don't want to sin you know, I I don't want to live for sin. Lord, help me not live for sin. Whereas the hypocrite is pretending to be righteous, but in his or her heart, they have no intention of trying to avoid certain sins um, because they still remain on the throne of their heart. Jesus is not on the throne of their heart. And that's what makes them hypocrite. They're pretending to be. So sometimes that word gets thrown around loosely. And maybe if a Christian really messes up, you know, then that Christian starts to be called a hypocrite. Well, only God can really say whether a person's a hypocrite because only God can look in the heart and see, hey, is that person pretending? Um, is that person just faking? You know? And, and so thankfully um, none of us really are able to put that label on somebody else on, but the Lord, uh, he's more than qualified because he never sinned. He's, he's the Lord of all. And, and so if the Lord labels somebody in the Bible, hypocrite, boy, that's, that's not something you want to be called by, by the, the Lord of the universe.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things too that we have to be careful about is, you know, the people that we follow, the people that we influence us, the people that we watch or listen to. You know, we really have to be careful too about scrutinizing what they're saying, scrutinizing what they're doing. What I mean by that is, you know, I think one of the problems that we have in in, a, in society today is that the church actually doesn't truly preach true gospel. I think there's been a watered down version of it, and I think that is also in vain. You know, people will sit there and say, and I don't want to just cast out wild accusations on everybody. I want to be careful, but I have a word from the Lord for you. Well, do you, I mean, you know, do you, or are you just saying that, you know, Um, you know, God told me to tell you now God does use people. God does use people to tell us, you know, obviously most of us probably we are witness to at one time, either through church, either through someone's testimony, either through a parent telling us, you know, their salvation story. So obviously God uses people to draw us to him um, right. and to spread his message. But it's also, you know, are we are we misrepresenting what is truly said? And I think that's one of the yeah. things that we have to be careful about. Are we misrepresenting in word or deed God in right. who he is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The people that we sit under. And the people that we listen to, are they misrepresenting God and anything that he might represent and who he is? And then do we replicate that? You know, you think of politicians. We just came through one of the biggest, you know, political seasons ever. And there's a lot of things being thrown around. And there was criticism of the former president holding up a Bible, you know, and then there was uh, walking to a church in D.C. And then there was, you know, praise for the current president for sitting in church. And even though, you know, he, um, is so pro-abortion that some of the, you know, Catholic archbishops have spoken out against giving him communion. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, right. you start looking at some of these things and we start applying it to our lives. Are we sitting in church and are we claiming one thing, but mm-hmm. yet our actions are doing another thing. We're promoting something sure. that is, isn't God-like, you know, are we out there trying right. to, you know, misrepresent him in what we do? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the God's name, uh, the Lord, you know, um, it's like in the Old Testament, you know, thousands of times. So it's, it's significant. It's such a significant name that I think we kind of lose focus on that. And when we misuse it for whatever reason, mm-hmm. we demean it. And like I said, so just think about it. Empty, wasted, pointless. Yeah. You know, if you're using yeah. God in any of those manner, uh, yeah. then you're probably taking God's name in vain if it's empty. You know, if it's a joke, you know, you're using God in, in a joke, you know, it's empty, void, wasted. That's probably taking his yeah. name in vain. If you're misrepresenting what the Bible has to say, uh, probably taking his name in vain. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, if you use it with along with cursing, obviously that's taking his name in vain. Um, I remember one time we had a conversation about, you know, taking oaths like I swear on the Bible that I will, yeah. you know, dutifully hold up the you know or whatever. Right, And I think there's, you know, and people are saying, oh, that's taking God's name in vain. But I think there's also a point to that where, like, if you, yes, if you swear on the Bible, but yet you tell, the, tell lies and, and mistruths and yeah. stuff, yeah, you're taking God's name in vain. But if you swear on the Bible and you are fully committed to telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, then I think that's yeah. not. You know, I think, I think there's that distinction yeah. where it goes back to, if you're really concerned about it, is uh-huh. what you're doing in the name of God— empty of who he is, void of his promises, uh, wasted conversation, wasted space, whatever, and opposite, contrary to what the Bible has to say. And I think if we look at it through that perspective, you know, me included, I think a lot of us take God's name in vain and we don't even realize it. And I think that's what's even scarier.
1: And and you know, I'll tell you, Son, the thing that's really striking me uh, in what you're saying there is is how much of what you're describing it goes so much deeper than just the, the the words that come out of a person's mouth. You know, the Bible says a lot about, especially in James and other places, about you know how dangerous the tongue can be. It's a world of fire among all the parts of the uh, of the body. Um, you know, because of the potential the tongue has for damage, if it if it's unleashing something that's dark, that's uh, evil, that's wicked from within, uh, coming from the sinful nature. But, but a lot of what you're describing Simon, goes even deeper than that it's, it's going through what the commandment addresses you know love the Lord your God with all your heart you know, that's the very first thing heart, soul and mind and and, and I think what we find um, you know in scripture um, the, the the person like the, like the, many of the Pharisees um, whose heart is not Um, loving Jesus Christ is not, first of all, you know, trusting him as Savior, not loving him, not seeking to follow him, okay, Um, then there's no way that such a heart can please God because without Jesus, there is no access to the Father. I mean, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you can claim your religious pedigree, as many of those Pharisees did. You can point to that, well, we're, you know, Abraham is our father and this and that. But if you reject Jesus, then you are rejecting the only access you have to the Father. I mean, and I think what a lot of them forgot, or they never maybe realized to begin with, is that, you know, all of those Old Testament sacrifices, those weren't just being done because God wanted the people to jump through some hoops and get some checks in the boxes and do some religious stuff. No, that was all being done to point to the coming Lamb of God, who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And the Bible makes it clear, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And, and, you know, it really doesn't matter, son, how many people um, reject what is referred to by theologians as um, substitutionary atonement, you know, that that Jesus was a substitute. You know, it's really something, in fact, I just listened to about a six-minute little video clip, um, John MacArthur was talking about N.T. Wright and N.T. Wright is a British theologian who often gets mentioned in different circles, but N.T. But Wright has really come out against substitutionary atonement. He's really come out. I mean, how you can do that, I don't know. You know, how, how you can, can think that, that, that the Bible does not teach that, that Jesus was our sacrificial lamb, you know, but, but there are people, uh, and even in that case, a theologian, who have a real hard time with that, and, 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 and yet it doesn't change the fact that that is such a large part of what um, of what the crucifixion of Christ was all about. He was the Lamb of God who was being slain for our sins. We deserve to be on that cross. He was on the cross. This is substitutionary atonement. Jesus atoned for our sins by dying for us. And, and, and the fact that it does not sit well with, I would say, some, Maybe elites in society, including some even obviously, you know, theologians who maybe think it's not dignified enough. You know, you'll have people who don't even like to talk about blood. Well, I mean, okay, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, none of us really uh, necessarily want want to talk about blood, but but you can't get away from it if you're going to if you're going to take the Bible as God's word and and you're going to come to understand what it means uh, that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. If you're going to take what it means when Paul writes. In Ephesians one seven, that in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So, um, N.T. Wright, you know, it's interesting. I wrote an article some years ago, um, and I believe the title was "Is N.T. Wright Wrong About Eternal Torment?" And you know, he had written some things where he really, you know, he was kind of talking about, you know, he liked the idea of heaven, but. He really didn't go for this idea of eternal punishment in hell. I mean, who does? I mean, you know, I mean, that, that doesn't just sit well with any of us necessarily. But, but the, Bible, the Bible tells us that regardless of, of the way we might want it to be, um, there are two extreme eternal destinations. Um, heaven will be a billion times better than we can imagine. Hell a billion times worse. And just because N.T. Wright isn't comfortable with the idea of eternal punishment doesn't mean that he can all of a sudden just uh, declare that, well, we we, we don't really think people will suffer forever in hell. And so, I mean, way back then, I mean, I was seeing things there that I'm thinking to myself, and I even pointed out in the article, I said, I mean, the, the, the minute we start playing fast and loose with that and going with our own opinions, I mean, um, what are we going to do with the crucifixion of Christ? I mean, maybe that was too long for Jesus to hang on the cross. Maybe, you know, why, why, are we going to change what, what it says about his suffering, which is far more significant than, than man going to hell? I mean, we don't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But why in the world would the Son of God suffer agony on the cross? That, that should never have happened, should it? So, so if you're going to start rewriting the Bible to fit your little, you know, your, your little preferred way of looking at it, I and mean, then what about heaven? Will, will, will heaven at some point in NT rights theology no longer be eternal? You know, so I was seeing some things back then, but you know, uh, in in fact, I think the little uh, YouTube thing by uh, John MacArthur is just entitled "NT Wrong," I think is what it's called. But he's uh, he's just talking about a few of these things, especially now with the the uh, you know what's called you know, penal substitution, a substitutionary atonement, Um, you know, this idea that Jesus took the penalty. You know, when when we talk about the penal system, when we talk about the justice system, when we talk about crime and punishment in America, son, where we're talking about something um, that is very specific, you know, the punishment fits the crime. And and I know that the, the, the idea that a punishment of eternal punishment in hell, that blows our minds, but that doesn't make it untrue. Um, that doesn't mean we invented it, nor does it mean we can recreate it. So good for John MacArthur and calling that out. You know, um, there'll be few, few pastors who will probably have the courage or the understanding to call that out. So good for him. And, uh, and I don't believe he called it out because he wants to see anybody in hell because I don't think he does. I don't believe he does at all. Um, you know, anybody who has the love of their Lord, the love of the Lord in their heart, which I certainly believe he does. You don't, you don't want to see people in hell. But the bottom line is, Jesus said, many are on the broad road that leads to destruction. So, um, uh, you know, people who listen to N.T. Wright, um, they've got to realize they're getting man's opinion. You know, <laughs> they're getting man's opinion on that. And you've got to be very, very careful when you start, you know, making decisions about your soul uh, based on man's opinions.
0: Yeah, I mean, Matthew fifteen nine talks about that, you know, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And when you start to yes. take away you know, the principles that God has laid out and replacing them with the opinions of man, you know, you've got serious problems. You're you're borderline blasphemy there. I mean, that's beyond taking the name in vain, although some could argue taking God's name in vain and blasphemy could be the same thing. Um, Right. but, um, But, you know, but that's what we've come to. I mean, we've come to how many times, you know, people always ask me, you know, kind of like my church history and I'll start explaining things about my church history you know where I've gone yeah. you know I've gone to many places I've walked away from many places and they'll ask why did you leave that church that's such a good church and I'll start to lay out some reasons why and they're like well that's seems like it's you know petty reasons to to li- to leave I'm thinking to myself okay any distortion of biblical truth is not petty and it's not something that's just simple you know when you're distorting right. biblical truth like you said he- hell isn't for all eternity. Well, then what makes heaven for all eternity? What what makes the significance of the cross? You know, why do I need salvation then? You know, why, why can't I work my way into heaven? Why can't I do good things? You know, why can't I do all this stuff and make it fit me? And we do that. We take the opinions of man, we take what fits us and we select the things in the Bible that we want that works for us and those that don't, we just kind of dismiss it. And we kind of say, you know, that's not really it. You know, I know a lot of people said that, you know, we don't read the old Testament because the old Testament was for that time. And then when Jesus came, he gave us the new Testament. The new Testament is what we need to follow. You know, when you take a look at the 10 commandments, Dan, you know, all of them um, are good rules to live by. If you just wanted to take the theology out of it. But when you, but when you take a look at the commandments, you know, the first commandment, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You should not make yourself any graven images or likenesses. You know, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The first four have everything to do with our relationship and how we are to view God, how are we to act towards him, how we're to think, you know. And when you bring in the concept of worship, what is worship? We think worship is, you know, singing a few hymns or a few songs with a rock band on a Sunday morning. But worship is, you know, communion with God every day, no matter what we do. And all things do as unto the Lord. And we like to separate, you know, our our earthly selves with our spiritual selves. And we never, and there's two, they're, they're two separate. It's almost like we have, you know, multiple personalities. We have our christian self or a spiritual self and then we have our worldly self and when i want to engage in worldly activity i'm going to be my worldly self and that's okay and then when it's time Uh to be my spiritual self i'm going to engage and put that on that persona on and then you know and i'm i'm guilty of that myself but i think the difference goes back to intent my intention isn't to be the worldly self but yet i'm there Right. But there are no people who do have separate intentions, you know, and they love that and they live it because they apply or they've listened to people that say it's okay. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. And there's a lot of people, I think, in society because of so-called Christian teaching that we have become conformed. You know, I mean, just recently there's a, um, an article on the Christian post. I think that, you know, Baylor university is opening the door to recognizing LGBT student groups, but yet they say their stance on sexuality remains unchanged. Now, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you, you can't have your foot in the world and you can't have your foot right. in now we don't want to alienate and ostracize because we need to, you right. know, spread the gospel right. to everyone, the, the, you know, right. the church right. and the unchurched. But right. it's like, you know, at what point, you know, you take a stand and be like, you know, this is what the Bible says. Yeah. And yeah. you're what you're preaching or what your church is doing or what you're engaging is is anti-Bible, it's anti-God, it's empty, it's void, right. it's falsehood. And so therefore, it's wrong. But then we get criticized because we're calling it out. You know, I, I can't think, I mean, I can think, but I can't believe yeah. number of times that people will just throw out, I'm doing this for God and people will just buy into it, you know, buy into it. Oh, they're doing it in the name of God. So they're going to buy into it. God told me. And so we're going to do this. You know, it's like, don't you have any thought into checking with the Bible and what the Bible has to say about it? Because that's the only thing that matters. You know, even what we talk about here, I would encourage people to go look at the Bible, read the Bible, uh, and, and do your own research and see, you know, and make sure, check that what I'm saying is even correct you know, and, and make sure that it's according to what the Bible says and not what anybody else says, you know? And I think that, uh, I think that we've gotten far away from that. And so when we talk about taking God's name in vain, you know, I know a lot of people think about just the cursing aspect of it, but when you really delve into it, you know, I think people are really missing the mark that, you know, we take God's name in vain a lot more than we think we do. And we really need to check ourselves because we are misrepresenting him in a lot of what we do, a lot of what we say, a lot of what we talk about. And um, I think that's something that, you know, we just need to check ourselves with.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it made me think, Don, as you were talking about just, the, you know, like the the law, both in the Old Testament. And then I think about, like, you know, just the rules for holy living in, in the New Testament. You know, it's interesting because <clears throat> this Sunday I'm actually going to be sharing a message um, from from Romans. Uh, and in this section <clears throat> of, of Romans, um, there are like over 20 uh, just 20 short little, um, short little statements, uh, that, that would, we, we would call, um, imperatives. I mean, things like, you know, bless those who persecute you, hate what is evil, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, be joyful in hope. I mean, I won't read them all, but, but my point is that's in Romans 12. Now, if we back up to Romans 7, Um, We we, we hit some verses that I thought of when you were talking about, you know, uh, the sins that we still commit as Christians at times. You know, Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do the evil, I don't want to do that, I keep on doing but what he was saying is he wanted to do the right thing. So maybe Paul would have a 10 or 15 second lapse, let's say, for example, here in his thinking, or who knows what he was referring to exactly. But, but you know, we, we still fall short, but we want to do the right thing. But if you go all the way back to the beginning of Romans in the early chapters, just like in the early chapters of, of so many of the other epistles and certainly Paul's epistles, what we see in the early chapter, Son, is that is that those chapters begin with statements, or what we might call um, uh, indicatives. We have the indicatives before we have the imperatives. We have the placement of who you are in Christ before we have these are now the rules for holy living. It's like a child in the home. You know, we're going to have uh, rules parents will sign for kids that are growing up in their home that you won't have for the neighbor kids um, because these are children in your family. And so the same is true with God. The Ten Commandments were given to the children in the family. So, so those were really imperatives. Um, they they weren't meant to ever be a means by which you could get into God's family. No, um, that's not how you get into God's family by by, by uh, obeying the rules. You obey the rules if you're in the family. And if you're not in the family, then what do the rules have to say to you? Well, the Bible says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So the whole point of the rules then initially for the unbeliever is you, they're intended to show you that you are a law lawbreaker, um, that you have not kept the laws, You've not honored your parents perfectly. You, you, you've not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, perfectly. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever had a lustful thought? Have you ever had a mean thought about someone, you know, and, and this is, of course, is the way that, you know, Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort have, have used um, the, the law in their uh, ministry, uh, Living Waters Ministry, uh, as they share the gospel by, by taking people through the commandments. That's a very biblical way uh, to do that, uh, because there is a distinction between the law and the gospel, and, and the law tells us what we have to do. Uh, the law gives us the imperatives. But, but where people make a mistake, on, in fact, world religions, you know, uh, make this mistake. They they, they they base their whole purpose on imperatives, on rules. And what makes Christianity so different than that, Christianity is not a religion of do. It's not a religion that's primarily about imperatives, although they're there. I mean, they, they come into play. But it's primarily a religion of done. Look at what God has done by sending his son to be a substitutionary sacrificial atoning uh, payment for our sin on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at what he's done. So you read those early chapters of, of you know, Ephesians and, and Romans and Colossians, and what do you get? You get indicatives. You, you get the statements. You get the, your position in Christ. And so Paul is building up the believers. Hey, you're a believer. You know, you're saved. This is what saved you. wasn't you um you were born of God. Uh you know, you you were you were spiritually reborn. Now that you're saved, then in the later chapters he gets into the rules for holy living or what we would call the imperatives. Just like every home needs rules. A home without rules is a, is a disaster. There's chaos. Because man by nature will always tend to, you know, shy away from from what is what is right many times. Um so so anyway, um I think that all just has a, a place there in this discussion uh, on, your, on your thesis today, Son, which I think is, is, is very biblical, um, that, that, yes, taking the Lord's name in vain is um, it, it's a much broader thing than, than just the words that we speak. And, and I guess I would just say, finally, Son, for any unbeliever, okay, um, who, who may be listening to this right now, um, in order for you, my friend, to not take God's name in vain, it's going to be critical that you come into his family. And don't worry. Uh, you know, it's not up to you to make it happen. Um, God did something for you. Okay. All you can do is receive it. All you can do is believe it. Um, you know, God commands you to repent and, and that is a command, you know, to turn from sin. And, and that should strike the fear of God into your heart. And if it doesn't, um, that's an indicator that maybe you're even further away from the Lord than, than you, you might think. Because if there's no fear of God, if you have no fear of standing before God on Judgment Day, my friend, I would say to you, not only should you have a fear, because you're going to stand before Him, but, but that's simply an indication of how badly you need Him. Um, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and, and, and Jesus even said, you know, don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, he said, I'll tell you who to be afraid of, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And the Greek word there was Gehenna, which was the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the fire never went out. And we talked on a recent, uh, podcast about some of the different Greek terms for hell. You know, there's Gehenna, uh, there's Hades. We talked about Tartarus, uh, where, um, you know, some demons are at today, locked up in uh, dark dungeons. But anyway, um, my friend, today is the day of salvation. So repent and believe the good news. God's done it all. Um, just receive it, okay? You don't have to chase it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to work yourself up in some spiritual lather, you know. Um, but accept the message that you're hearing today. Acknowledge to God that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Turn from sin the best you can. I mean, God is going to do it, but just turn away from it. Give him your heart. That's really what I think Sons Thesis is all about today. Um, it's more than just the words we say. It, it's got to be in the heart. I mean, who wants to ever stand at the altar and get married to somebody whose heart's not in it? Oh, well, I do. You know, I, I say my vows and I do. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. If your, your bride, your groom, if their heart's not in it, nobody wants that. Why should God want that? So, my friend, if your heart will be in it, Then give your heart to the Lord today. Um, Trust in him as your savior. And then he'll help you to not take his name in vain, you know, any longer. And where you mess up, go quickly to him. Just like if you're in a marriage. You know, my wife and I have been married, you know, 30 years. And if you, um, you know, if you say something you shouldn't say, you mess up, you got to keep short accounts. Otherwise, there's not going to be peace in the home until you, you confess your sin to one another. And the same is true first and foremost with God. So just do that. Make sure you're connected to a, uh, a good a church and we, and we'd love to help you. So i love to help you out there in California. I mean, I'm here in Nebraska. I mean, um, but wherever you're at during this podcast, um, we can, you know, there's lots of ways we can help connect you to a good church wherever you live, but that's going to be key because you're going to need that just like a homeless child needs to be home. I was telling son about the 11 uh, uh, year old boy with autism has been all the news in Omaha the past two days. He, he uh, He decided he was going to hide. You know, I guess he's done this before, but he he walked out of school uh, two or three, couple days ago and they, everybody's looking for him. You know, where is he? Where's Ryan? You know? Um, So everybody knows he needs to be at home. Can he survive out there? Maybe barely for a while. Can you survive without a, without a church family? Maybe barely. I mean, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So um, we'd love to help you get connected to a good church. That's going to be a big part of of your spiritual growth and your spiritual protection um, against all the lies, like Son was mentioning, are in the society today. So um, let us know if we can help, you know, and, uh, um, you know,
0: God, God will do the rest. Yeah, well said, Dan. You know, the other thing, too, that as we start to kind of wrap things up here is that it's not too late if you. People always say, you know, I've done things too bad. God can never forgive or you know I've gone too far into my worldly life that I can't come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's just Satan being uh using excuses to try to keep you from him because there's nothing nobody can do except believe and call on yeah. the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And I think that's the the reverence. I mean think about it. Would you want to blaspheme somebody? Would you want to take his name in vain somebody that is going to save you from all eternity? You know, right. you, you think about Amen. your own you think about your own family, you know, would you Defame fame your own family, um, you know, your family name, you know, a lot of people you think, uh, over the course of, you know, of history, you know, names of families, you know, maybe like the Rothschilds, you know, maybe the Vanderbilts. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I just recently went down and saw Vanderbilt university play some baseball in, uh, in Mississippi and the name Vanderbilt, you know, you think the railroads and, and you think of some of these, you know, prominent names that have been established and, you know, throughout the, you know, our country, That people will just kind of rely on you know you think of um and so you don't you don't defame those names you know you don't you don't bring those names down i mean the whole premise if you remember at national treasure book two um you know was the name of the gates family you know it was it was it was it was defending the legacy and the name of the gates family you know and so um it's important. The name is important. And it's not the only thing that identify you because if it's a, if it's a bad name, you can obviously remove yourself from it, you know, if you're um, in that kind of situation. But again, it goes back to how are you living your life? How are you going about and following the biblical standards that God has set forth? How are you going out and are you doing it because you want to? Are you doing it because you want to be known? Are you doing it because, you know, question your motives what are your motives for doing what you do following the lord serving god because ultimately it comes down to you know a one-on-one relationship with him and that's it and that's the only thing that's going to matter is what's your relationship with him are you in worship with him every day are you in communion with him every day are you you know reaching out every day or is it something that you know you have two personas, and you're going to live your worldly life, and then you're going to have your spiritual life, and then when necessary, you'll dress accordingly and, and live life and then change and, and, and go from there. Because, you know, in the end, the only thing that's going to matter is that, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody, whether you believe or you don't believe, One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And imagine, imagine the power behind that name. You've got, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. Jesus, you know, cleanses sin. You know, Jesus, nailed on the cross, the thief. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, it's something that I think we lose reverence over, and we just kind of dismiss today. And we got to get back to that reverence, that worship, that, you know, putting God first and knowing that when we represent him, Uh, Quick story as we wrap up, there was, I guess, um, I think it was uh, Caesar, or maybe it was uh, somebody like that, somebody like a big, powerful uh, world conqueror in history, and um, there was another guy with the same name, and um, he was a coward, and so he was brought before Caesar the king and was basically saying, why are you acting the way you are? And the guy kind of described, you know, why he was a coward and so forth. And the, the final thing that the, the king said, the Caesar said, for example, was either change your ways or change your name. And that's what we got to do. You know, if we call ourselves Christian, if we call ourselves godlike, if we're not acting like it, then maybe we should change our name. Maybe we should change what we call ourselves. And if we are truly what we say we are, then maybe we should start acting like it, you know. And, um, that's always kind of stuck with me, with me, you know, throughout the years when I heard that story is that, you know, are we acting and what we claim to be our actions, following that up, or are we just in namesake only and our actions are something different. And I think that's something that each person has to answer for them for themselves. And if you don't know, you can pray about it. You can read the Bible. You can ask God to help you and he'll find it and he'll find the answers and hopefully change your heart if you're you know, not doing it right. But every day we need to make sure that you know we put God first, that we you know, glorify his name, that we praise his name, and that we don't take it in vain because I think it goes well beyond just using curse words. It's in every day how we act, how we respond, that we could eventually take his name in vain. And what we should be doing is focusing on elevating who he is and praising his name and giving him the glory and the worship and the majesty that it deserves. And so I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank uh, Dan, who is uh, with us each and every week. We truly appreciate everything that uh, he does for us. You can find him on Facebook, uh, Redeemer Church, Facebook in Papillion, Nebraska. Um, You can also email him at dandelzel at cox.net. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Edom ROCKS, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, Edom Rocks. You can send me a message there. And you can also go uh, on my um, Instagram page to the um, link in the bio, and you can click on the link, and you scroll down. There's a, a pod or a sanctified reason link. You can click on that, and you can listen to previous episodes uh, there as well. So again, thanks, uh, to Dan Elf for being with us this week. We look forward to many more conversations. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. And do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.